Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Billboard on Broadway podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Millsoff, features editor at Billboard and big Broadway fan here. Thank you for sticking around for the little break I had to take, but we're back. So we talk a lot on the podcast about how pop music and pop music writers are becoming more and more a central part of the musical theater world. And usually that comes into play when, say, someone like Sarah Bareilles writes a musical or we see a show that uses the catalog of one artist to tell their story like Beautiful about Carol King's life. Well, there is this new musical on Broadway that is totally exploding the concept of how pop music is used in the theater, Moulin Rouge. The 2001 movie it's inspired by, directed by Baz Luhrmann, was itself pretty revolutionary at the time. It told this grand tragic love story of late 19th century Paris through totally repurposed contemporary pop tunes by the likes of Nirvana, Elton John, and Madonna. And I would say the musical takes that maybe a 1,000 steps further. The score is comprised entirely of either standalone pop songs like Katy Perry's Firework and Sia's Chandelier, or more astoundingly, these intricately crafted mashups, which kind of become new songs on their own, pairing, say, Adele's Rolling in the Deep with Narles Barkley's Crazy. There are, in fact, a lot of songs in the musical that are new that weren't heard in the movie, which brings up a whole other interesting conversation about copyright and licensing of artists' work that I got to explore in a recent story for Billboard, which you can find on Billboard.com. But the score is really only one element of the insanely theatrical experience that is Moulin Rouge. The theater is transformed into this lush, kind of immersive environment that almost feels like you're in the inside of a big red Valentine's Day chocolate box. The performers feel like they're really singing directly to you. And speaking of those performers, they are among some of Broadway's most beloved. The cast is led by Aaron Tveit and Karen Olivo as the doomed lovers Christian and Satine. You may know Aaron as an earlier podcast guest when he was starring off-Broadway in Company, but he's been in Broadway shows ranging from Next to Normal to Catch Me If You Can, and Karen was a Tony winner for her turn as Anita in West Side Story. She was also in the original cast of In the Heights. And the supporting cast are stars in their own right, too, including Fela star Sana Gauja as Toulouse-Lautrec and Danny Burstein as Harold Zidler. 
walking out of Moulin Rouge, you certainly feel changed and like a happening has occurred. Maybe you're a little covered in confetti. Uh, So I, of course, had to explore what makes it so extraordinarily entertaining on the podcast this week. Hello, uh, this is San Gauja. I play Toulouse Lautrec. This is Aaron Tavate, and I play Christian. I'm Karen Olivo, and I play Satine. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> so many happy people here. Well, I want to start out by saying, you know, as first of all, I'm a big fan of all of you, and I think that I think of you all as performers who, like Broadway people, have really strong feelings for. And when you come to a show here, everyone is super excited. But I think for all three of you, it has been a while since you've been in a show on Broadway, though you've done big projects elsewhere. So I have to imagine that it takes something very special to get you to do a show here. So why? what goes into deciding to do a project for you, and why was this the one that brought you back after several years? Mm, I think of alchemy. Hmm. I really do feel like I, I had a gut feeling, and then they threw names around. And then I got into a room with people and I was like, oh, I like all these people. Yeah. We can make art together. <laughs> and that sealed the deal for me. But yeah, very similar for me too. I mean, I, you know, you kind of always look at, I, I personally look at everything kind of at a case by case, project by project basis and why, and like why they want to tell the story, who's telling the story. And I'd been a fan of this film. And when I, similarly to Karen, when I heard the creative team involved, I was like, well, I love all those people and they're all going to be in a room together. So I wanted to get in that room. And I, I did the same thing. I went in and read and sang with them, and it was really exciting. And the timing worked out perfectly. That's the other thing. Timing is also a, a kind of a, a perfect storm of things when you're looking at a project. And this was just one of those things at the perfect time for me. Mm. Yeah, I guess uh, for me it was it was the story and the character. Um, I like the story. I love the film, but I, I never imagined uh, playing the character. So that caught my interest. Obviously, yes, the creative team also is very strong. But um, after uh, a workshop or two, because it started before you guys came in, you know, and yeah, you guys did a reading before that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, I mean, the script was interesting, the music was interesting as well. Uh, but then after a workshop or two and kind of seeing the direction that the creative team was going, I was definitely convinced to stay on. By the time these lot came in, then it was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, really, the team of people working on this are really, um, it's like Green Berets, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Descending <laughs> into the confetti-filled atmosphere every night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like, the, the, the score for the show is unique, to say the least, like, understatement of the year. I mean, were you all immediately on board with with? this idea that you're going to be singing pop songs for an entire show, um, even though they are totally reimagined? Or did that take a little wrapping your mind around? I was on board. I read the script and I, because I actually, I think I'm, I'd like to consider myself well-versed in pop music. I'm kind of a pop music junkie. And so I knew, I basically knew all the songs. And I saw, I, as I was reading it, I imagined how they would fit in the story. And I couldn't believe how well they fit. And I, I don't know if, if you guys feel this way. I don't even think of it as a pop score. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I don't think of it as a jukebox musical. I think they've done such a good job telling the story through these songs that I, I, I've actually, that part of my brain isn't even recognizing that they're mm-hmm. pop songs. Mm-hmm. It's exactly. very strange yeah. when you're inside of it. 
I'm the exact opposite. I don't know any pop music at all. So really? I had to learn, like, I had to learn firework for the show. Like, I, mm -hmm. the, so many of the mashups, I was like, what is that song? And then, you know, Justin Levine would give me a reference track and then I would go and learn it. And I'd be like, oh, <laughs> oh. when did that come out? So for me, I was this Katy Perry used to go. I know, it's embarrassing. But I went from it from an actor's perspective. And so when I would look at lyrics, I'd be like, does that, is that what the character is supposed to be saying? And in every single moment, mm, it was. Yeah. So that's what sold me, that whatever it was that he was picking was matching up perfectly with what the story needed to be told. So yeah, I don't know how he did it. It's so, it's so <laughs> brilliantly woven. Yeah. I mean, it, even last night, you know, there's always this, mo not always, but many nights or days, there's this moment of like reminding myself that people are relating to this song as a pop right, tune. Right, because they know it. Right. Yeah, because it feels, you know, it's, I mean, we're telling the story of these characters. Yeah. It's so brilliantly woven. I, I was also like Karen. I, I didn't I didn't know so many tunes. <laughs> so many. But then after I learned them, I would, you know, hear them. There's a strange at, thing that happens, you know, everywhere. though. Everywhere. Yeah. It's like, I don't know if you guys feel this way. I, I notice it in Shut Up and Dance, actually, because the audience has an awareness of what the song is, but then people that know the story then have an awareness of how the lyrics are working to tell the story. Like, I say, I turn to the audience and I say, this woman is my destiny, right? Which is mm -hmm. the lyric of the pop song. But anyone who knows the story, of course, knows that we're these two people that are crashing into each other. So, And that's very early on in the show. And I find that that's something that I, I can feel the audience reacting to knowing the duality of it, which mm. I think is really interesting. Mm -hmm. It's a different awesome. sound. They make a yeah. different sound. Yeah. There's the, oh, I know that yeah. song. Yeah. And there's the, oh, that was clever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, I was gonna say like, you must see such an interesting evolution of like facial expressions and noises in mm -hmm. the audience because like, yeah. I think, I mean, two moments come to mind for both of you. I think when you sing Nature Boy, it almost, I was, at first I was like, oh, is this a song I've like never heard before? And then I gradually mm. realized what it was, but it sounds like a new song. And, and similarly yeah. for Firework, it, it, it's like a traditional like 11 o'clock number in a way and almost like an aria sort of the way it's positioned. And mm. then you realize, oh, it is this huge song I know. But it, I, I mean, it's like a, ah, ah. <laughs> it's also brilliant the way they put it. Like, you know, in musical theater, you know, most leading ladies have an I want song pretty yeah. early. It's like the third or fourth song in the first act. Totally. And they, to choose a song like that to be an I want song is really ambitious. And so that's another thing. I was like, how do you how do we sell this? This mm -hmm. is like a big splashy. How do we make it small enough in parts so that people feel like you're actually talking to them and explaining your inner feelings and then also blow their heads off with a song that they know and they love? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's Justin Levine. He's brilliant. Wow. Yeah. Totally. Well, I was... I know from speaking to Justin on my own that the process of getting all of these songs was incredibly intricate <laughs> and complicated and long, and um, and that story was the the paramount thing for him. And I was curious, you know, since you've all been involved with the show from a pretty early stage, to what extent were you aware of kind of the progress that was being made and the work that he was having to do, like? Were you getting only finished products? Were you aware of like, oh, we're trying to get Uptown Funk and it, we're just waiting for that one last yes? <laughs> or how did that go? Uh, I was kind of blissfully funk. ignorant. At the beginning, I think I, I think I assumed that they had all the rights to everything at first, <laughs> and, then I, and then I found out they didn't. Um, so I kind of was like, oh, oh, I hope we get this one. I hope we keep this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I have a lot of, well, I mean, like the, I don't know how, when we started now, I mean, it's a few years ago. 
I didn't really realize it until songs started disappearing. Right, right, right. You know, like coming back to a workshop, I'm like, oh, God. All right, so then we're going to like, no, we're not singing that anymore. Right. Well, why not? It's like, no, we couldn't, you know. <laughs> Jay-Z fired, uh, no, well, Kanye fired his whole staff. So, uh, so yes. we, we don't have anybody to get the rights from. <laughs> right, right. You know, that, that song is out. You know, I mean, the stories, I, I, I'm probably not at liberty to get into them. I mean, I'm sure right. you guys heard a lot of crazy yeah, stories yeah, yeah. at this point, right? Yeah. But I, I think was, I only heard when things got yanked. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's <laughs> it was the, like a sadness. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dear, can you tell us anything that was yanked? Because I know about like Uptown Funk, Bruno Mars didn't say yes in the end. And, yeah. Uh, you know. yeah, I mean, uh, the, the can-can was kind of, which just happens... In the film too, so this isn't too far out of bounds. I don't think the mm. the can can in the beginning was over smells like Teen Spirit, yeah, which was mm. in the film. But right, I think, you know Nirvana's, yes, you know very protective of their music. So that was, but yeah, but the Uptown Funk thing, we were we were hanging on to that one for as long as we could. And yeah, then yeah, yeah. Be. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bruno. A lot of yeah. things happen. You well, know. yeah, I think Courtney Love is maybe working on a well, that's Kurt Cobain musical. That's, that's yeah, 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 that's what yeah. I was under the impression. Yes, yeah. that's, that's what we heard. Um, but it's it's I think it's so funny because I remember when I was walking out of the show and you kind of listen to what people are saying, people are talking about rights. Right. <laughs> like yeah, when yeah, does yeah, that yeah. happen at a musical? Yeah. Like I heard I remember the guy walking in front of me was like, dude, you know that there was like a snippet of Beyonce in there and that can't be cheap. Like <laughs> <laughs> And it it's it's funny. It's a different kind of conversation coming yep. out of theater for sure. Yeah. Yep. Well, one thing that stands out to me about the show is kind of the overall tone. You know, I have to say, in all honesty, like, I liked the movie. I didn't love it. And I know there are people who feel truly passionate about it. And part of what made me like the musical more, in a way, was sort of the balance of, I think it's, like, really earnest in some ways, but very tongue-in-cheek in others. And it has a kind of sense of humor about itself that mm-hmm. I didn't feel as much in the movie. So I was just curious yeah. to hear you guys' impression of that and kind of how you achieve that balance. Mm. Well, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that it's a live audience. So in a movie, you won't be able to that that last component, which is the audience, is mm-hmm. not something that affects the the end production, you know, or the product. And for us, we have that lag period of time in which we we offer an idea to the audience and then we see how they react to it. So tone is something that we have to be hyper aware of. Mm-hmm. And as we shift, all of those bridges have to be built structurally sound or else things don't start they start to fall apart um i think that i mean the what we had just finished talking about is the recognition of a song and then how the song is using the lyrics to forward the plot line and then you start to really see uh people understand the movie and the show and how it all goes together. That's like a whole other, I I think that's Mm. what makes our show so different. And not only is the audience sitting incredibly close to us and feels like they're a part of it, but they are actually promoting the energy on stage Mm. with how they're receiving the material. Mm. Mm -hmm. And you can see it in us. Mm. Yeah. In, in Elephant Love Medley, the moment we we hit something and one of the lyrics sits really well with a group of people and they're like, oh, that's my song and I love how they're using it, that fuels us and you can see it in us. Yeah. And yeah. then we we build off of that. It's it's a different kind of relationship than other musicals. Yeah, and it, mm-hmm. you almost you feel the audience reacting and so there's almost like a little bit of a glint or a wink that you're able to do yeah, that totally. isn't mm-hmm. out of bounds, yes. whereas a lot of times it would be. But then I think what's so fascinating to me about this piece is that, and I think you were talking, you may have been alluding to this, is that you can go from that kind of tongue in cheek to like a real serious realism that happens. Like I, what I think is always 
and I think we found it after a while. The this, the last scene of the play. This is the third time we do the, the you know the scene of the show within a show. You know that that scene used to be the most emotionally wrought right from the beginning, and then we actually got to a place I think now where it's like totally stripped down and actually it's probably the most filmic scene in the play mm. but I think that's because of the we learned that the audience is so with us on this cumulative ride of what we've been doing that we're able to then go to a like totally different place at the end because they know everything that's happening so mm. I always find that mm. fascinating it kind of goes it goes in these waves like wavelengths of tone mm. that, yeah. again it starts with Alex like we all had to be on board together and he kind of pushed us to make sure we all stayed in the same lane, I think. Mm -hmm. He sure did. Yeah. He really did push that. Uh, yeah, very subtly. The, yeah, very subtle. Mm -hmm. This, yeah, you know this song, don't you? Mm -hmm. But then there are those audiences also who... Don't know the music. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. You, you like can tell when it's just like going over their head. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. There's been some audiences where the, the Some Enchanted Evening that I reference in mm. my speech in the beginning gets yes. kind of the biggest reaction. <laughs> and so that's when we know it might be an audience that may not know Lady Gaga. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> but I think we all actually, I think we adjust accordingly. We you do. know what I mean? Yeah. I think that those shows, maybe it's not as tongue in cheek. And we kind of, we have to actually, the audience is like a real character in our show that we have to gauge the ride they're on too. So that's what I, I never even thought of like, what is the Sunday matinee crowd at the yeah. show? Like? Yeah. It's just taking the words in. Yeah. It's a nice melody. But my, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I have to say, by the end, they're, yeah. still, well. yeah. <laughs> they're still invested and they still stand at the end like the other audiences. So yeah. that's pretty, yeah. I always think that's pretty wonderful, too, that the quiet audiences listen and still are affected in the same way. Yeah, the buy-in. Act one, yeah. they're just like, okay, yeah. all right, okay, okay. Yeah. Then act two, it's, you know, they, they're the invested. Yeah, yeah they're true. invested in the characters and the journey. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so well-constructed. Uh, I think the, the, the placement of Montmartre, that Montmartre scene is the the thing that sort of sells our show because mm -hmm. you have that this splashy opening and then you get to Montmartre and then you start rattling off songs. Yeah. And it mm -hmm. becomes this situation where the audience is sitting there and if they catch three or four, they're like, oh, OK, I know how we're going. Mm -hmm. And then if it goes yeah. completely over their head, they it's it's built so well with the three of you that they're invested in the character. So it doesn't matter that they're not getting any of the references. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. But, but that, that, I know from that, from their audience reaction, I'm like, oh, these are people in the know. Mm, They're getting all of these. Yeah. And it'll be this kind of show. Right. And that's something that changed, mm. too. There used to be a bigger kind of song that we sang instead right. of the sound of music and the three snippets. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I think it's so smart that they changed it to that because exactly like you're saying, it's almost like we're teaching the audience how the language of these pop songs work. Yeah, that's right. right. From it's the, the code. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know? this is the code for the night. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you go into, uh, it's always my favorite when you start Royals and the, oh, they the reaction it. of the crowd. They're well, like, Alex directed that one because <laughs> yeah. he was like, no, give it more of a wink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I used to just start singing. It's like, right. ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. They probably yeah. know it. Like, yeah, yeah. lean into it's it. Great. It's great. And I watched the way you guys do that. I was like, oh, yeah. He said the same thing to us, too. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, kind of. You know, we started off, I think, doing the Elephant Love Medley like we were doing Three Sisters or something. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then at one point he's like, guys, you know, feel free to kind of take the piss out of each other and wink at all the songs. And yeah. it's, it's interesting. It's, it's been great. Yeah, I think that, I mean, first of all, you're right about Royals. I think that was like a standout moment for me when I was like, oh, my God, what is happening? <laughs> then it's so good. And like the harmonies are spot on. And you're like, OK, I have to respect this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and during the Elephant Love Medley, it's just like, you can tell that you're playing along yeah. and that re you're reacting as the audience is reacting and the jaws are just like dropping like mm -hmm. dominoes as the song goes along. But it's, yeah, it, it's, 
it, it is entertainment at its finest. Mm-hmm. I would, when people ask me whether to see Moulin Rouge or not, I'm like, well, no matter what you think, you will feel that you got your money's worth of theater. Like, it is all the theater. <laughs> Which is wonderful. <laughs> Which is delightful, yeah. yeah. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Um, it's really refreshing. Um, I mean, I was going to say that like you have all, I think, done the kind of musical theater work that I think of as like kind of the high bar for of a theater person's career. I mean, you've done a show, saw that like was all you. And, uh, you know, you've done some pretty big Sondheim roles recently mm-hmm. and West Side Story and like Tony Awards. And uh, but I have to imagine that this is also probably challenging you in ways that even those kinds of high bar things yeah. haven't. And I was curious to hear how it's kind of pushed you even beyond what you thought was like, OK, like this is probably pretty big. Hmm. Yes. Well, for me, I think, <laughs> for me, it's a, for personally, it's a lot what we were just saying about, you know, my natural inclination, even though I think I'm a, you know, gregarious and joyous person, my natural inc- inclination when I'm acting is to go very dark. And so, <laughs> and so, you know, like when I, like the Sondheim you spoke of doing assassins and, you know, kind of finding why Bobby can't get his life together in company. I, I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to dig into this and really dredge this stuff out. So, but then to go on stage and have to kind of push this mayhem out, you know, it's, a, it's not my natural inclination. So that's definitely pushed me to, to find, which sounds funny to find joy and find openness. And it's a thing that I'm so impressed by with you and McGregor in the film is his his like open earnestness is so enchanting and it's so difficult. <laughs> so, you know, that's what's definitely that's pushed me for this and you know that's doing this. Interesting to me because I feel like that's you're more Ewan McGregor in life. Right. But it's I don't well, thank you. But uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? for whatever reason, He's it's just not like wide eyed and like it's not yeah. my first it's like yeah. it's a different gear to to do that. I don't know why. I don't it's a yeah. I don't know why. I wanna like I wanna brood and emote <laughs> and do this stuff and but this is, you know, it's a it's a different different muscle, I guess. 
I have to say yeah. that that actually did occur to me for, I mean, like you saw, I've like, I've seen you be like lively and crazy on stage, but the two of you, I remember as I was watching, I was like, they're both really funny. And I haven't seen that as much, but like something about the show is bringing that out of both of you. Like you're very easy with comedy on stage. Yeah. Well, I, I, I was told from a very young age that comedy is the hardest. Mm -hmm. So I'm a very competitive person. So I was like, <laughs> well, I want to do the hardest thing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I have a lot of really incredible, funny musical theater friends and I watch them in awe. Same. And I think, how, it, how do you make it happen nightly? And so that for me is a huge challenge. I yeah. feel like the tonal shift from your song into the pitch song and that sort of <laughs> the pratfall silliness that has yeah. to happen believably was the biggest shift and challenge for me. But what I'm finding it is th it is the one moment in the show where I truly feel myself. Because yeah. I'm not I'm actually an incredibly goofy person, but not with anyone other than like my like very, very close friends and maybe my sister. I'm the same way too. Yeah. I think so like the people it, it that I'm close with know that. It but. fuels that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and what was the hardest now becomes the most enjoyable. Right. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The moments, but it, it, there's something that needs to be unlocked to do that, you know, and I, I feel the same way. I have friends that are, you know, like when I was on stage with Norbert every night, I was like, how is this, how does this person yeah. exist in this world and do this? <laughs> you know what I mean? So naturally and openly and freely. And so it's something that, you know, I think we've had to unlock and we've also had a lot of funny, fun times yes. making this. Yes. I mean, it's been amazing. Like just the chemistry of, uh, of, of the crew, yeah. um, working with you guys also and unlocking that funny, mm -hmm. you know, and keeping the spirit of the humor in the room so that we can find things. Like when we were making the pitch song, yeah. my God, you know, I thought that was going to be like the hardest thing in this play to do. Mm. And it was, it happened so fast and so easily. Yeah. And we laughed all the, all way, the through way through that yeah, construction. It tumbled. Yeah. It tumbled out of us. Just like, yeah. It's, yeah. We just went into this place. And personally, the fact that I get to, you know, spend half my show following he and Ricky around is like. That's hilarious. It, yeah, encourage, I don't know how it you encourages it laughter and like we're really walking a line of like too much sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And so it's uh, it makes it very easy. No, it's it's three like three stooges of very different kinds of stooges. Yes. I guess. Yes. That's very true. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um yeah, it's even just like funny to look at the three of you together on stage, like just the physical differences. <laughs> we're like in three different plays or something. <laughs> like in three different worlds. It's just, it's unbelievable. <laughs> since we're actually since we're talking about the pitch song, I, we were talking a little bit before and about the, all of the different code names that these numbers have. Yeah. I wanted to hear a little more about that. Right. Wasn't the pitch song called "So Exciting"? Yes, maybe. Yeah. Oh. So that, there's one. That was one in the in the in the script. The pitch song was "So Exciting." That's right. I don't remember what the old names. I don't know what the new well, names new are. Names yeah, they're the now. new names. We were trying to figure well, out. I think what they that were. before we used the name that it would be sort of. Like the the pop name of a yeah. song or something, yep. right? And now because there are lots of mashups, if if it's the song by itself, it I think you can actually use the name. Right. But mm -hmm. if it is mashed with anything, at that point it needed a new title, and so they came up with all of mm. these different sort of code names. And mm -hmm. I just remember being in rehearsal for the Broadway production, and they'd be like, "Okay, we're going to do such and such," and I'd be like, "I don't know that. I don't. I'm not in that song." Yeah, right. <laughs> and they're like, "No, no, no. It's the old this." And I'm like, "Oh, okay, great." <laughs> I think the track list that they released for the album have the. The all new, the new names on them. That I found confusing. Yeah. I, I did too. I was looking at it. I was like, what is that song? Like, I'm yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. Did we actually sing that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
Karen, I have, I feel like I've been following your kind of preparation, like since Boston on Instagram. (laughs) And um, I know that you have been through a lot preparing for this role. And I was just curious to hear, like, what went into, like, getting ready for this. Because it was like you were doing, like, boot camp. Yeah. um, And I have to say, as an aside, like, you two get away with wearing a lot of clothing in the show. How did that happen? (laughs) Uh, uh, you know, no fishnets. Turn, no, turn like taking century. shirts off. They're, just, they're trying to get the ladies to like stay in their seats. That's why they cover up the guys. <laughs> this is probably—I I don't know if you feel this way. This is probably the most clothes I've ever worn in a show. It's the most I've worn in a little. Yeah, yeah, it's like you're, wait, yeah, and in, in uh, Malima's tail, you're I'm like naked. naked. Yeah, 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 you're naked yeah. in Malima's. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw every single part of your body. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, what? Pretty much. Yeah. He's got he's got really incredible back muscles. Back muscles. <laughs> no, true. I mean, <laughs> these two are yeah. two incredibly fit gents. I had to do all of that work because I am a foodie. So, and I also don't really like to work out. And knowing what Satine has to be for the show. Yeah. Scantily clad, always in a corset, hypersexualized. I was like, well, I have a little work I have to do so I can make this believable. And also stamina. Yeah. You know, I was going to say, like, also hanging from things and yeah, acrobatics. There's, yeah. yeah, there's a little bit of that that I had to I had to I had to get some stuff in order mm-hmm. <laughs> in order to do it eight shows a week. You guys do such heavy lifting every night. I, every show I think about you guys like, wow. But it's all just relative, right? Because your show is, if I had to do your show, I'd probably blow my brains out. Do no. you know what I mean? Yeah, I absolutely would. I absolutely would. It's just like whatever it is, whatever is yours is yours. Yeah. And you yeah. just, you carry it that way. I have to yeah. say, last night you walked by before rehearsal scene two when you were telling Danny that you forgot your cane. And you're like, oh <laughs> man, my show's almost over. So yeah. I forgot my cane. And I, th- I thought to myself, I was like. Oh man, I'm not really happy with him right now. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, that's what I'm talking about. My show about. is almost He's like, yeah. over. Yeah, by rehearsal scene two, I'm like. Like the heavy lifting is done. Yeah, so he forgot his king because he's like, my show's almost yeah. over, and here, like, here we're about to jump into like our whole run. And I was like, oh, yes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, oh, I'm gonna sit with this stop. for a minute. I'm not very <laughs> happy with what I'm talking about. <laughs> I guess I never really guys, thought of that. Yeah, you guys have heavy lifting. I mean, when I walk away from Nature Boy, yeah. I'm like, whoop, whoop, see you later. I guess warming up a brisket. This <laughs> I can't. You guys How dare you? How I thought the same you? thing with Ricky. One day, I realized that after the pitch song, he's done with Act One, and I was like, How dare you? Oh, sure is. How the Lady you? M's in 3A, yeah. the first act, they yeah. walk away and they don't come back to the second act. Yeah. So thank you for Ooh. saying that, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> but, Big but, respect. But we miss you when you're gone. Yeah. So yeah. We Aww. want you to come back. You're memorable. Well, what's interesting about this one is in the playing style of it, it it's, you know, like when, when, we, when we're shooting film, you know, it's like, okay, these are the things we're hitting today, you know, and you spend those hours like, Building up to whatever that delivery yeah. is, get it shot. All right, fine, edit it Let however go. you want. But yeah. that's it. What's mm-hmm. next? With this one, uh, at least for, for mine, it's it's edited as if you know all that happened. But it's like, okay, we need to climb this hill in point two seconds, mm-hmm. yeah. and then jump back off of it and fast forward to two weeks later. You know, from like the Satine Garrett scene or the goodbye, you know. Yeah, those quick turns, two. yeah. Yeah. The, There's a lot of work that has to happen for you off stage, yeah. doesn't yeah, like, Yeah. Yeah. Come, boom. Because everything is so important when you're jumping into the stuff you jump into in the second mm, act, yeah. 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 Just that workout. Yeah. Okay, it's the last rehearsal. People are crazy. And Satine is bloody late. You guys actually How killed me last night. She? In the uh, In the scene after, you know, you, you turn Tam down with the roses. Oh, yeah. 
oh. when you said, you know, you guys killed me. I was like, I was actually backstage, and I was. Um, this is no no BS. You guys mm. like the way you played to each other killed me last night. Mm. Anyway, yeah, we all now have a new appreciation for what Saw is doing, yeah. even when he's not on stage. Yeah. <laughs> I'm eating. That's, what I'm <laughs> That's why I want to play your role. That right there. Yep. <laughs> um, well, the the cast recording is coming very soon, a couple days yes. from, I, I think. Yes. It might actually be the same day that this podcast is published. Oh, the, the, the chronology of this is very confusing, but yeah. Um, and I mean, clearly the show is so unique. The cast recording process I know has been pretty different from just a traditional original Broadway cast recording. And, um, you know, I've gotten the sense that it is being treated a little bit more like the way you would approach doing a pop album in terms of like the level of production and kind of wanting to preserve a level of energy that maybe doesn't always come across on a cast recording. So what was that process like um, for you guys, especially since this is a show that, as we said, is so much about like playing off of the audience and getting that energy? Yeah, I, f I felt, you know, it was a, a lot of times the cast recordings that I've done, it's really about trying to capture what you do on stage. And this was very different in a way that it was... Um, they were pushing us more to just make this just for this recording. You know, mm -hmm. the, the, and also the band had already been totally laid down. So the orchestrations were different. So mm -hmm. also we had to kind of find our way. And the orchestrations reflected that, that this was a kind of its own thing. And so we had to find our way inside of that. But yeah, it was much more, um, it was much more specific to the album. And it was, it felt more like recording pop music than recording a, um, a theatrical album. Mm. But but also like when we did the Elf and Love medley, it felt like we were doing like a radio play. Yeah, because you know, that was one that actually kind Translated. of the reverse. They yeah. wanted us to be able to sell what's happening just through our words. Mm. You know, so it was it was a uh, it was a lot of fun. It was you know it was a lot of fun. I did feel like there was a lot uh, a lot of license in um, in tone in dynamics. Yeah. Uh, you know, Boz was there for a good bit of it, too. So we got a lot of direction from him as well. And so there was a lot of uh, me having to, in the moment, reimagine how Satine would sing a section based on certain things, which is something that, yeah, you don't normally do. Yeah, usually just, you just like just try to time capsule it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there was a lot of freedom in that. Yeah, it made it really interesting, like how to... Give what people are watching from the stage, but like directly into their brains, you know, into their ears, like directly into their ears. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Mm. I can't wait to hear. I, I mean, I can't wait to hear. The only thing I've heard is the your track that they released, which is insane. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I haven't listened to anything yet. Yeah, they did a really good job. I only listened to it once because obviously I do it every night. So, yeah. but I really loved it. Mm. But they did too. You know, I think we have four strings at night, and they added an extra eighteen oh, strings right. for the oh, recording, right. like something like insane. Like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, Baz kind of stepped in and said, "Nope, you guys can have eighteen more strings," and we were like, "Oh, okay." You know, yeah. So it's uh, <laughs> it's pretty pretty incredible that that happened too. Yeah. He's. I mean, he he certainly knows music and like recording music, and I hadn't even thought as as far back as like Romeo and Juliet, yeah. like how that that soundtrack that soundtrack is, is still one of like my favorite soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like oh, you know, totally iconic. <laughs> it's like put together a '90s playlist, and you know every song in that soundtrack will be on that '90s playlist. Totally, it's so good. It's yeah. so good. He, I spoke to him briefly, um, and he told me that he kind of thinks of himself as Uncle Baz mm -hmm. yeah. for this production. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. <laughs> what, is, what I mean, what has his presence been like, and <coughs> what kind of insights has he had for you guys? It's been comforting. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, I think one, one of the things he had said was that it's really wonderful to have birthed something and then sort of go away and have it sort of grow up and have nothing to do with this new venture that something that you created mm. is undertaking, but being able to be prideful in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been really lovely. He's always been so supportive and uh, really helpful. Not that we've ever, I, I never felt like we were, we had gone astray, but it's always really wonderful to have the touchstone come back and oh, say, yeah. you're on the right track. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been incredible to have him a part of it. Yeah. And he kind of gave, you know, they, they, they've been so involved and that, that itself is like a blessing for the whole piece, but they've also, you know, very directly given their blessing. And I mean, I think he, after one of the runs in the studio that they were there, he kind of pulled Karen and I aside and said, you know, this is yours now and just enjoy it and run with it. And that, mm-hmm. you know, that meant, that meant a lot to me. Oh my goodness. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As somebody that is so close to this and created it and the two performances are so iconic. So that, that meant, that meant a lot to me. Yeah. He seems like a guy who's not like too precious about his work. Um, I think that he really uh, wanted, he I think wants he wanted it to be translated. I think he wants it to be good. And I think yeah. it was, he's just, you know, thankfully, We've done a good job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because also, I mean, people have been trying to make Milan Rouge a Broadway show since the film came out. Yeah. Oh, really? And they didn't get his blessing. Mm-hmm. You know? So it means a lot yeah. to have it on this. Mm-hmm. This was the right moment. Yeah. And he drops nuggets, too. He just, you know, you can feel him slowly sometimes just mm-hmm. adding a little, you know, basil or oregano to ideas, <laughs> you know, to unlock aspects of, uh, you know, whatever is being, you know, casseroled at the moment. <laughs> food. We, you Here know we are again. Yeah. Food. I'm following this metaphor. Whatever's yes. in the Instapot. Yeah. <laughs> he knows a little something about, you know, what that duck was eating. So if you just add a mint. <laughs> uh, uh, this is going deep. This, uh, this is every day. <laughs> so my job is so great. Culinary metaphors. Yep. Well, I I certainly think it would be hard to pick like a, a sort of a favorite musical moment in the show, but I I was curious if there is any particular song that the way that it's been placed in the show or the way it's being interpreted has really kind of changed the way you you hear it now. Chandelier. Yes. Chandelier is brilliant. Mm. Yeah. Its placement, how it's introduced to the audience, um, yeah. how it's promoting the storyline, what it what it sort of dovetails. It's to me one of the most brilliant pieces in our show mm-hmm. I'm a fan too yeah that's one too that I think that they it's interesting how the audience reacts because it's staged to be a realistic number and maybe not to be a tongue in cheek number mm-hmm. but the audience recognizes that Zeller is beginning to sing Chandelier <laughs> so of course that's innately tongue in cheek yeah. but it's, it's funny it's a moment where the audience I think is is ahead of us you know, mm-hmm. which I think is always wonderful in any, you know, that happens in film and television. And I think when you can, you know, I always thought a great example was like, again, this is my own craziness, but Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Like when the audience knew before Jon Snow knew who he was. I thought uh, that was the most fascinating time of that end of Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. So anytime an audience can get ahead, and I think that's mm-hmm. a moment. Wow, I just really went deep on Game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> that's a moment uh, the audience gets ahead of us that I think is super exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, For me, it's Come On May, though. I mean, I love, you know, that's a song that I've, you know, loved in the in the movie and singing it with Karen every night. And we talk about how difficult it is to sing every night, but it's it's the, it's so wonderful. It's the hardest it's, part of my show. It's so great. Mm. It's so great. For me, it's a pitch song. I think uh, <clears throat> I still run upstairs after the opening and think, 
Oh yeah, Fitzon. This is so fun working with you guys, oh, man. It's, it's 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 just wonderful. And I, I listen to a lot of French classics now um, mm -hmm. in my room, uh, getting getting ready or waiting for them to finish singing four uh -huh. songs before I come and yeah, join yeah. you again. <laughs> uh, no, I don't listen to the songs once the show starts, but I listen to a lot of French music now preparing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Pit Song is a nod to a lot of great classics yeah. as well. But I don't know. It's just the chemistry working with working with you guys and, and, and Danny and Tam and Ricky on that is so wonderful. It's fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yay, love fest. Mm -hmm. Appropriate. Yeah, well, thank you guys so much for coming. Thank and you so, so much. glad the show is going so well. Yeah. Cheers. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Seasons may change winter to spring. But I love you until the end of time. Moulin Rouge is playing at the Al Hirschfeld Theater on Broadway. And if you'd like to hear all the music before you go see it, happily, the cast recording is out today, which is a pretty amazing thing as cast recordings go. If you like the Billboard on Broadway podcast, please subscribe and give nice reviews and maybe some stars on iTunes. You can also find us on other platforms, including Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. You can find me on social media at Rebecca Millsoff on Twitter and at YaDownWithRMM on Instagram. You can always use hashtag Billboard on Broadway to talk about how much you love the podcast and hope to have you back soon. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.